0: Hi, I'm Jay Thomas and welcome to Bald Tires, a proud member of the Saskatchewan Podcast Network. Today my guest is a guy I've wanted to get on the show since day one that I created Bald Tires. Every time I meet up with him, he's always got another great story and he shared just a couple of them today. If you're in the car community in Saskatchewan, especially in Saskatoon, you're gonna know them probably in person. Kelvin Jansen is joining me today. Heyman Rochelle, his wife, are the organizers of the Shifters Car Club, and they do so much for the car community around Saskatoon. Calvin calls himself the old car doctor. That's his business. He goes around fixing old cars for people, especially when it comes to drivability issues and electronic issues. But today we're going to talk about, well, how he got to be a car guy. There's some funny, fantastic stories along the way. Next episode, as well, stick around because Kelvin's going to come back and tell us about all the cool cars he's owned. There's a lot of them. Thanks for listening to Bald Tires. Because when you make great memories, you make bald tires. The Saskatchewan Podcast Network is supported by Conexus. Wellness, however you define it, is achievable. You don't even need to figure it out all yourself. Talk to Conexus. They'll give you guidance, motivation, and the push you need to reach your goals. They've got you. They're your financial partner, and they know you can achieve your very best, your financial best. Prove them right. Start right now at Conexus Credit Union. The Saskatchewan Podcast Network is also supported by Direct West. Is marketing getting in the way of running your business? Direct West has a local expert team right here in Saskatchewan that will work with you to build your website exactly how you imagine it. Let them help you improve your online presence and head to directwest.com now to learn more. Well, we're sitting on the back deck of a friend of mine's place. And, uh, I think he's got a story or two to tell us. Calvin <laughs> Jansen's joining me right now. Calvin, thanks for coming on the podcast today.
1: Hey, No problem.
0: Okay. I, I got a thousand questions for you, I'm sure. And every time we get together at the a Shifters Car Show, there's always uh, lots to talk about, and, and you've got a story about every car drives by. I love it, I absolutely love it. And I mean, how many, how many are we gonna get up tonight? We'll, we'll see, but let's start with this question. You're a, you're a huge car guy, and you do it as, as, a, as a gig now. I mean, you've, you've done it for your whole life, but you're now self self-made man, yeah uh. <laughs> yeah, they call you the old car doctor,
1: yeah, well, I've been working on the freedom ninety eight plan for many, many, many years, and I've got a quite a number of them to go yet and uh I always heard these words of wisdom that if you enjoy what you do, you never work a day in your life-, mm-hmm. so after spending, wasting, no gaining experience, okay, for many, many years in the work force um, I decided with a little coaching from Rochelle obviously yeah that maybe I should just do what I do what I love to do mm-hmm. and uh, one of the most wonderful things about it is that the people in the car community are to a huge extent excellent excellent people yeah and so even though I'm taking money out of their pockets, so to speak Um, they all become friends. Yeah. You know, um, when I work on stuff for people, it's, uh, kind of a problem solving kind of an idea. (laughs) Um, and I, I have, a a reasonably high standard, I believe. Um, and I won't, I won't do a repair any lesser than I would do for myself. Yeah. And so far that's served relatively well. So
0: now you focus mainly on electronics. That's your specialty, right?
1: Electrical. Yeah, primarily. Yeah. Um, Well, that's kind of where it started. See, being that I do it Mm mobile, I don't have a shop. And the city would frown on me doing it at my house. um, Most people's shops aren't really set up for much more than The kind of stuff that i can do easily mobile right um i can't bring along a vehicle lift i can't bring along air impact tools or i can i mean yeah you can get battery and electric and stuff like that but but getting into heavy mechanical work and stuff like that just isn't really feasible as a mobile thing
0: mega mega suspension components yeah
1: yeah um if there's a specific problem with a car when the majority of the mechanical is done like i've I've had to deal with a few where uh, they've done, you know, say a rack and pinion steering conversion and they can't get through figuring out how to uh, hook the steering column Mm -hmm. up to the rack and have it work. So a number of complicated U-joint angles and these sorts of things. And so stuff like that I'll solve as an exception mostly. Yep. Um, But primarily I do um, electrical, which has kind of turned into my carburetor is a problem, and I so I do that sort of thing. Um,
0: I've heard a lot of guys say, Oh, I got Calvin to rebuild my carburetor now, it runs perfect, but more than one now, so it's almost becoming a specialty of yours, eh? Hey?
1: Well, it has sort of, yeah. Um, there's nobody,
0: there's nobody around to do it.
1: Well, nobody wants no, to,
0: you got no competition because nobody <laughs> wants to.
1: Well, it's funny because it's not that I don't know, maybe I'm uh, maybe I'm oversimplifying it, but um. You know, I look at it this way. New vehicles, uh-huh. um, even the new muscle cars and these sorts of, you know, all of the what I call BGVs, boring grown-up vehicles, <laughs> yeah. um, they're all over. But they are unnecessarily overcomplicated. Mm-hmm. Um, they've taken the the driving away from the driver. Um, oh yeah. S- stuff like uh, lane keep warnings and and automatic emergency braking and and automatic headlamps and and people don't even realize that their tail lights aren't on because they've been deprogrammed to the point where they don't even know you have to turn a switch on you know and i think about the simplicity of all of the older vehicles and and how to this day um if you want reliability if you want Durability, if you want something that will still work thirty years from now mm-hmm. you might go as complicated as a electronic ignition conversion system, but there's really nothing wrong with points, condensers, yeah. carburetors these newfangled fuel injection systems and I say that it's kind of funny because
0: <laughs> they've been around for 35 years now yeah, yeah
1: in the oem i mean i remember the first fuel injected vehicles i was working at jubilee ford and i thought interesting but who's going to work on that 50 years from now
0: uh-huh yeah
1: and that's how i felt about it then and i i mean i drive a fuel injected bgv and it gets my tools and myself to where it is that i do what i do yeah but um you know that stuff that that simple, basic stuff, carburetors, ignition systems that stuff worked perfectly fine mm-hmm. for a hundred years
0: yeah, and then they had to go and change it all
1: and then they changed it and and people want this what they think is simple they they can get in and turn the key and fire it up and so there are a number of companies that make like the fuel injection conversions and stuff and like throttle body bolt on stuff yep yeah personally i'm not sold no i can make a vehicle run just as well and just as reliably with a carburetor Mm -hmm. and and a simple ignition system um i am however somewhat biased more towards the the kind of the stock thing you know um i went down the crazy high performance road years and years ago and found them to be extremely high maintenance and (laughs) kind of pointless um
0: well i think it's still more fun to drive a slow car fast than it is to drive a fast car slow
1: well yeah because it can be rather stressful driving a fast car slow (laughs) people talk about what they need what they what they think they need for power and uh and i always tell them the same thing It doesn't take a great deal of horsepower to break the speed limit. You can do 60 mile an hour down the highway with roughly 80-ish horsepower. Mm -hmm. Um, Your classic car, your, your pride and joy that you're driving, that you'd like to enjoy driving and you'd like to be able to afford to drive. Um, building it to make power makes it unreliable and uneconomical. Yeah. So you might like to smoke your tires and, you know, get a little out of hand every now and again. And it's not like I'm completely uh, innocent in that respect. <laughs> but um, really, honestly, uh, if it takes less than 80 horsepower to break the law and speed even on the highway. Yeah. Then you look at the number of miles that we put on our toys throughout the summer. Let's say, you know, a few hundred miles, some people maybe a thousand Thousand, miles. Yeah, yeah. Um, That's if you're going to a lot of outlying shows and stuff. Now you think about the percentage of that time behind the wheel that you spend with your foot on the floor. (laughs) You know, now, if you're holding your foot on the floor in a powerful car for more than three seconds, you're endangering yourself and other people, <laughs> yeah. okay? Yeah. So how much power do you need? You can smoke your tires with uh, 200 rear wheel horsepower. Well, sure. Uh, what does that take? Less than 250 flywheel horsepower. Yep. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, that's just my thoughts on it. <laughs> I like an engine that runs nice.
0: Yeah. And, and you know, back to the, the, the headlight thing. You used to know when your headlights weren't on because nothing in your dashboard was lit up. Absolutely. Right? So when you were sitting in your car driving around and it was dark.
1: You couldn't and you read. you couldn't the see a damn thing.
0: Yeah. Right. Nothing. Yeah. Couldn't see anything. But they, they screwed this all up when they let the interior dashboard lights come on to make it more illuminated and prettier and all that stuff. Mm. Now it's lit up all the time and it, people drive around oh, they and, can see the speedometer
1: and daytime running lamps hmm so your daytime running lamps come on you can see the road ahead of you but prime example a, a story uh, actually this this just happened this past like late winter mm-hmm. I was on my way to get Rochelle some breakfast in the morning and I usually go to the Tim Hortons and uh, a fellow pulled out in front of me in an SUV like obviously an error in judgment I don't think he intended to be ignorant or difficult but he came flying out of a condo apartment uh, or parking lot and I had to brake pretty hard not to hit him and then he just carried on with no tail lights and uh, it just so happened he pulled into the Tim Hortons right in front of me so he pulled up into the storefront and The drive-through lineup was long, so I thought, I've got a few minutes to spare. I wasn't going to read him the riot act. I wasn't going to get angry with him, but I thought, you know, I should have a discussion with him, and if I approach it right, it won't be too threatening. So as he was getting out of his car, I pulled up across the back of his vehicle, and I rolled down my passenger window, and I said, excuse me, sir, were you aware that your taillights don't work? And he said, what? I said, well, yeah, uh, start your car up and come have a look. So he started his car and came around back and, well, my headlights are working. I -hmm. said, no, I believe that's your daytime running lamps. And he says, well, you mean they're not on when I'm driving? I said, not unless you turn them on with the switch. Do you know where your headlight switch is? He goes, yeah. So he went and flipped the switch on Uh and came back and looked around at the back of the car and... And he says, "I had no idea." Mm-hmm. And I said, "So how long have you owned this car?" Three years. <laughs> Three years. Oh boy. So uh, I've heard oh. that. I've heard that uh, new car manufacturers have been mandated to make it. Um, if the dash lights up, mm-hmm. the lights have to be fully automatic. Yes, that's so. What I've learned That's too. supposed to be coming out. I don't know I if it's was already now. I think it was 21
0: or 22. Like, yeah. new cars arriving now Which will have good. fully automatic headlamp systems that are not, you can't shut it off.
1: Yeah. And that that's fine. I mean, whatever. It's it, it just, it's shallowing the gene pool even further. Um, <laughs> yeah. Because if you don't actually even have to consciously turn on your lamps, um, how would those people deal with, a high driver input car like any of mine that have no power steering, no power brakes, manual transmissions, it would be like not even worth driving around the block for them. They'd be just so inconvenienced.
0: Well, they say you know? that the manual transmission is the the modern uh, anti-theft yes. system.
1: I got one step up on that too. <laughs> I put a four-speed shift knob on my three-speed standard. <laughs> so it would really mess them up. And where's reverse? Well.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah. okay I want to ask you this yep. what what got you into cars in the first place were you a car kid
1: yeah um, so my dad my dad incidentally was an amazing amazing mechanic he was the guy that everybody went to he was the guy that everybody called for advice um, asked his opinion when they were looking to buy something called him when they were broken down on the side of the road um he uh he worked for a number of garages and then eventually uh around in 1970 71 i guess we moved back to saskatoon we we'd lived out in calgary for for 69 70
0: 71. okay
1: and uh he got a job at smp Oh, yeah. He worked there doing electrical and drivability and air conditioning. Now, electrical and drivability, those are the things that I generally specialize <laughs> in. But I didn't learn it from my dad. No? No. He and I didn't work well together.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: Um, because I had to learn everything the hard way.
0: Yeah, I'm one of those kids too.
1: I had no problems making mistakes or, or admitting or uh uh dealing with the uh, aftermath or consequences i realized that that was but i i had to learn my way and uh and he was more of a do as i say kind of a guy mm-hmm, yeah um i'm trying to make life easier for you which i'm sure actually was his intent <laughs> but it didn't make learning easier for me yeah okay so But, uh, so I was exposed to that sort of stuff. I I mean, I remember as a kid in 1971, um, Merv Mann, who maybe some of your listeners will remember, um, he was uh, the son of the owner of Saskatoon Motor Products. Right. And um, he had a lot of super cool cars. And uh, Merv would bring his cars over for dad to work on, on the driveway okay because he didn't want them going in the shop because he wasn't sure who was going to be working on them so he wanted only my dad to work on them so as a as a you know we're talking 1971 um like you know i would have been going into grade three that fall mm-hmm. and uh i'm i was a big kid already i mean grade four i was in grade five i was five foot ten right? holy cow but uh, so i'm crowded crunched up in the back behind the seats of a genuine 1970 LT1 Corvette. Cool. To go for a ride with Merv Mann and my dad. He would bring his, uh, his Camaro pace car uh, over for a little tweaking and stuff, and, <laughs> you know. But it kind of happened even earlier than that. Um, in 1969, Uh, Well, I guess it would have been earlier than that, even 67, 68. My my to-be uncle would come to visit his sweetheart, who was my aunt, when she was babysitting us. And he had a 1966 Fairlane GTA convertible. Cool. Uh, He sold that, and he bought a 1969 Ford Ranger short box, fleet side. Hmm. Uh, black. Oh, Kragers on it. And it used to sit out in front of the house when Aunt Sheila would come to, to babysit us. And, and, uh, I mean, that, that was, you know, I mean, I was, I was young. Uh, and he had a 1969 El Camino SS 396
0: four speed car. Some pretty hot
1: stuff. Yeah. Um, my other uncle, my uncle Stan, well, I have many, but uncle Stan had a, a galaxy convertible, um, uh my uncle john had older cars restored model a's buicks um Neat. Like th- in the in the 30s like 20s and 30s cars um he was big time into studebakers and you know dad i mean dad dad had lots of cars not by my standard but he had lots of cars um he was always dragging something home from a an oddball english ford to a, a 56 meteor to a uh some strange console or a uh, uh, 55 Cadillac convertible mm. or, uh, you know, always fixer uppers, front and falcon wagons and you name it. So we were kind of exposed to that sort of stuff, but I think it really hit home in, in 1969, the summer of 69. Mm-hmm. Um, I was finishing grade one in Calgary and I would walk down the main drag in Calgary I think it was um, third I don't remember what the main was we lived on uh, third Street I think it was anyways and uh, I walked right past a GM dealership every day on the way home from school okay and all of the muscle cars were sitting there the Camaros and the Chevelles and the Novas and the Corvettes and the and they were sitting there in the showroom and on the lot out front and, and oh, wow, that was just amazing, you know? So one day on my way home from school, walking down the back alley, and I stumbled onto something sitting in the back alley. I didn't know what it was. <laughs> it had been run over. It was crushed, <laughs> but it sure looked cool. And it had all kinds of nifty parts. So I dragged it home and I put it on the coffee or the picnic table in the backyard. and. And I started straightening bent pieces, and monkeying with this and checking with that. and I didn't know what it was, but I figured in order for it to do what it seems to want to do, this has to be out of the way of this. It's clearly bent. And I straightened everything out and, and then it seemed to do what it was supposed to do, whatever that was. And uh, when my dad got home from work, he said, what junk did you drag home today? <laughs> and I said, I don't know what it is, but it's pretty cool. And he looked at it and he said, oh, I know what that is. I said, what? He says, that's a Highway Hi-Fi. Oh, cool. Yeah. So uh, I had no idea, but he hooked it up to the battery in our van and hooked a speaker to it, and it worked. Really? So he built a wooden box for it and put it on the TV and put an automotive battery and a trickle charger behind the TV. <laughs> and, and, you know, the first record we put into it, to listen to was Peter, Paul, and Mary. Ah, <laughs> really? <laughs> and then it was Simon and Garfunkel. I mean, we're talking 1969, 1970. Yep. That was pop music. That, that was. was current. Bridge you know? over
0: troubled waters, yeah, oh, all that. Oh, man.
1: You know? And, this uh, is Robinson. So it was that kind of stuff, you know, just. Um, it was about solving a problem, mm-hmm. even then. Mm-hmm. It was about. I took every toy I had apart. <laughs> but I I was that weird kid that could actually put it back together and have it work. That's cool. And I especially took them apart if they didn't work, and I'd put them back together and make them work. Mm-hmm. So, you know.
0: So, as a kid, you were like that. What was... Well, let me ask you this. What, what was the car you took for your driver's
1: license? Oh, well, okay. That was a, a 1971... Datsun, five ten. Oh, really? Four door. Yep. Yeah.
0: This is. Uh, that's that's not far off of like that '70s show.
1: Oh man. I mean,
0: that was a Toyota in that yeah. in that that move, that TV show, but
1: yeah, kind of the I, same thing. And I had a, a very interesting experience with my driver's license. Well, <laughs> driver training in school was tough on me, um, because I had driven. I think the first time I drove a vehicle was with my dad. He had built a jeep out of an austin a40 (laughs) and it was a wooden bodied jeep and it was actually really cool Um, it ended up selling to some guy in manitoba who used it on his ranch for eons very reliable piece he built it my dad built it on the garage pad before we had a garage Okay. Uh, he pieced it all together and then he took it all apart and took it in the basement piece by piece (laughs) and he built it in the basement and painted it and everything and then he took it completely apart again and took it upstairs in spring onto the garage pad and reassembled it wow oh yeah um and it was really cool that was uh before 1969 because when he went to calgary because he he got a job there he was in construction he uh he drove that, used it for the commute back and forth to Calgary from Saskatoon in the dead of winter. Wow. Uh, and it was a home-built, wooden-bodied car. And, uh, yeah. So, anyways, <laughs> off of the driver's license thing. So, uh, I had this uh, this little Datsun 510, and I drove that Jeep when I was seven. But, anyways, uh, out at the farm and stuff, at my... my you know, uncles and relatives and stuff. You know, I was forever monkeying around with equipment, mm-hmm. uh, whether it was the tractor or whether it was the, the grain truck or whether it was, you know, whatever. Um, just because I love that sort yeah. of stuff. Yeah. So when I got the opportunity to take driver training, I was bored. I was really, really bored. <laughs> um, they give you this simulator that was roughly based on, you could either go automatic or column shift three speed standard. And uh, when I'd get bored, I would just plant my foot on the floor and, <laughs> and just watch the road come at me at like 20 mile an hour on the screen in front of us. And, you know, he's looking for signals and brake applications. And I, I was kind of a <laughs> jackass didn't, didn't do what I was supposed to do. <laughs> so. He left it as long as he could before actually taking me out on the road, and we'd written our test, and I got my learner's license. When I finally got the opportunity to drive, he put two other kids in the back seat. A, <laughs> it was an Aspen, a Dodge Aspen. Dodge and, Aspen, yeah. yep. Uh, with a brake pedal on the right-hand side, uh-huh. um, and uh, he said, Kate, let's go for a drive, and we pulled out onto 22nd Street and drove all the way down to Idlewild, and turned right. And as we're approaching the lights at Idlewild and 20th, he said, "Uh, turn right. So I had to quickly turn right onto 21st Uh because the light was green at 20th. So then go around the block and around the block and around the block until finally we were about to get a red light. It was turning yellow at 20th and Idlewild to head out on the freeway. So he says, just go straight and stop at the light. So I stopped at the light and I sat there. The light turned green, and I took my foot off the brake and started to apply the gas. And but he had his, fur, his foot firmly on the brake and wouldn't let me drive. <laughs> and I said to him, uh, I believe the light is green. <laughs> and he said, What are you doing wrong? And I said well, I don't know that this is the time for that sort of education. There are vehicles behind <laughs> us and we're obstructing traffic. And he says, nope, we're not going anywhere until you tell me what you're doing wrong. And I said, well, specifically at this moment, uh, supposedly driving with you, that's a problem. <laughs> so I got out of the car and left him sitting there at the light with his foot on the brake in the passenger side and i walked back to the school (laughs) so i wasn't allowed to drive for a few weeks as you can well imagine so the next time he finally had to let me drive again we went for a drive same thing round the block round the block round the block oh look the light's going to turn red as we pull up so 20th and idlewild pull up and stop the light turned green he wouldn't take his foot off the brake And i said are you still on this and he says well you haven't told me what you did wrong and i said i know what i did wrong last time and he says oh yeah what and i said i got out of the car it's your turn and i was about six foot two about (laughs) 245 250 (laughs) and he saw the sense in it because he knew i was angry and he got out really it was pouring rain and uh I drove up the freeway, and up Lauren or Ruth Street, and made a, a U-turn, or not a U-turn, but around the block, and came back, and we passed him on 22nd Street. He looked somewhat like a drowned rat. <laughs> and I drove by honking the horn and waving, and when I got back to the school and parked the car, I wasn't allowed to drive anymore. But I did have my learner's license because that was a written test. You were allowed to drive. It's just that I didn't really do so well in the driver training thing. <laughs> So as luck would have it when it came to be my turn to go and get my driver's license. <laughs> I wasn't in a rush. All my buddies had their licenses. I was younger than all of them. Okay. Um but I was the only one that had a car. So they would all hoof it or bike over to my place and then they would I, either I would drive cuz they had their license or they would drive my car. Um So I didn't worry about it till I was almost 17, and then I thought, well, maybe I should go for my license. It would be really convenient because then I could get a job, get there and home and whatever, right? (laughs) So uh, I went to do my driving test, and imagine my surprise. (laughs) The tester comes out, and he had transferred from driver training into testing. Oh, God. So I get this guy. He's not in a good mood because he recognized me, obviously, and... He was still hurting from walking in the rain and uh he was sore about that <laughs> so <laughs> we went for the driving test and and my little Datsun 510 although everything worked on it uh it was quite a piece of crap yeah <laughs> um and uh it was a standard and he said to me when we got back he didn't say anything ahead of time but when we got back he gave me uh 81 points off 81 81 yeah yeah he said it was 9 points off which is a fail every time i downshifted without my foot on the brake to let people behind you know that you're slowing up and i said correction i said actually i had my foot on the brake every time you can't see my feet when i'm driving how would you know that i didn't have my foot on the brake And he says, well, I know you didn't. And I, he was wrong. But because that was the only thing that I did wrong, apparently, I was allowed to drive again in two weeks. Mm -hmm. So I made another appointment. Lucky me, same guy. So I told him this time, put on your glasses. (laughs) And uh, he insists that there were four times that I did downshift without applying the brake pedal to light up my brake lights. So he gave me 36 points off the second time and said, now you're getting there. Jeez. So two weeks later, I went in for my third test and they said, uh, well, your, your tester will be out right away. And when he walked out, I made a horrendous noise. I was rather indignant. And uh, <laughs> I asked to speak to the boss and I said, this guy has a, person, a personal issue with me. I don't think that it's fair. I think that I'm getting ripped off. I'm not a terrible driver. You can actually look at my test scores and see that the only thing that I've given, been given any demerit points for is one thing. And if I haven't learned that, then yes, I'm stupid, but (laughs) I'm telling you, I don't do that. So they said, okay. He says, well then why don't we try another tester this time and we'll see how you really are at driving. They brought out this woman. Oh my goodness. She looked like she hated the world. <laughs> I was thinking, Oh boy, what have I done now? She came out to the car and she looked at over with a fine tooth comb. She was not amused. My rusty junkie Datsun. And, uh, when she was content that everything was functional on the car and that it was actually road legal, <laughs> uh, we went on the driving test. Um, she didn't say much other than turn left at the next intersection, you know, uh, turn right at the next intersection. Yeah. We get back and she, she says, well, she says, that was rather remarkable. She says, I've been doing driver testing for quite a number of years, and you are the first person that I will ever give a driver's license to zero points off in a manual transmission car. <laughs> and I said, excellent. And she says, so what was that argument about earlier when they sent me out? I heard some yelling and I said, well, the tester that was supposed to take me out and uh, he was, I was a student of his in driver training before he transferred and I kind of made him walk back to the school in the rain one day. And she says, you're that guy? I said, yeah, I'm that guy. (laughs) And she laughed. And then she went in and talked to the boss and they refunded me for my first two tests. (laughs) So even though it took three tries to get my driver's license, it sort of only took one, so.
0: Wow. Uh, What was the car that your friends came to drive?
1: That was the Datsun 510. That was the Datsun? Oh, yeah. I had three of them in a row. It was like Datsun 510 hell.
0: (laughs) Datsun 510 hell.
1: Then I had a two-door Datsun 510 with a 289 Hypo and a four-speed Chevy Saginaw four-speed, actually, Ah. uh, with the crudest adapted bell housing. Um, And then I had a Datsun 510 two-door that somebody else had built, and I got it. It was horribly rusty. But uh, (laughs) it had an 1800 out of a newer 710 or something with uh, a small chamber like a 1969 1600 head on it and and headers and uh side draft su carbs and Hmm. and uh and a five speed out of a 240 or something and a it was a blast but it was so rotten it was dangerous (laughs) so uh yeah and then i bought a north american car a 1968 fairlane fastback cool yeah and uh I loved that car. It was actually pretty cool, but it was it was a lot of money back then. Eight hundred bucks I paid for that thing, and uh, it had new paint on it. It had been painted in the guy's garage, but it 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 looked pretty good, you know. And uh, it was a really blustery, windy day. Years later, not years later, maybe maybe a year later, and I was sitting in my bedroom, and the car was parked on the driveway just outside the window, and and the wind was moving my car Oh. because it was really blustery and Fairlane Fastbacks are kind of an arrow-shaped car. And all I could hear was this horrendous donkey-sounding, creaking, hee-hawing noise <laughs> coming from the front suspension of those things because you weren't, there was no provision from factory for lubricating the front upper pivots. Oh, really? Yeah, for the spring seats. And so it was sitting there creaking and moaning away in the wind and I decided it had to go. <laughs> so I sold the car to Steve Betker of all people. <laughs> yeah, And his brother drove it for quite some time. It, uh, yeah. And then from there it was, uh, my buddies asked me, what do you want next? And I said, well, um, I'd like a 67 or 68 Cougar a 68 or 69 Charger or a 66 or 67 Chevelle. Yep. And, uh, which is obvious. I'm not any particular mark or make. Um, I, I just dig them all. I'm a gearhead. Yep. And I ended up with a 67 Malibu <laughs> that was a one owner car. And it was, it was in such nice condition Yeah. and uh, total granny car. In fact, I got pulled over by the cops in uh, Lloydminster. Um, I was on my way to Alberta to visit some family and, and I got pulled over by the cops because they suspected I'd stolen the car. <laughs> because I was a young punk driving grandma's car and they were pretty grandma's sure Malibu. that I'd stolen this car. You know, white walls and hubcaps and... You know.
0: Vinyl top?
1: No, oh, no, 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 no. But I do know where that car is to this day. Really? The guy I sold it to, handed it down to his son and, and then to his younger son, so, uh, and he still has it to this day. And really? It, it's sitting in the backyard. It's, um, it's actually really nice condition to this day. Really? Yeah. That's um, cool. Yeah. And I, uh, yeah, that, that that car. So, and that led to just a string of Chevelles and Beaumonts and, and you name it all. Just
0: how, how many do you think you've owned in total?
1: 289. Oh, you know exactly. Oh, yeah.
0: 289, Yeah. that inclo- includes the BGVs?
1: Oh, that in- no, that doesn't include the BGVs. It does include some parts cars that didn't necessarily start out as parts cars, cars that I thought I might do something with, but then decided, no, probably best just to use her- what I can off of this. And so I've never in my life ever bought a car ever just to flip and make money
0: you intended to keep like to have them
1: every car that i bought was a car that i wanted was a car that i cared about <laughs> a car awesome. that i intended to either restore repair uh, drive uh, improve in some way yeah um but the problem was that um i ended up doing the improvements that i that I planned for them and then people would, you should sell me that car. <laughs> and so I would sell it. Yep. Um, I had very little respect for the, the whole idea of buying and flipping and making a buck because to me, these old cars, they, they kind of have a soul, you know? Yeah, yeah. They, they have so many stories, they have so much history, they, mm-hmm. like you can't ever know all that they've been through Mm -hmm. and and that means something to me yeah to me to to buy something and go yeah I can make a buck on this is completely impersonal there's no strength to that as I see it Mm -hmm. I mean if you do that for a living fine I guess I just could never do it yeah I could never do it I would sooner pass a car on to somebody who would care about it for less money yeah. Than to sell it to someone who's just going to flip it and pad their pocket. Yeah. Yeah. You know? So, yeah, 289. 289. Yeah.
0: Holy cow.
1: When I met Rochelle, I had 14 cars and nine motorcycles. <laughs> and uh, you know the wonderful thing, among all of the wonderful things about her, <laughs> yeah. she never had Any idea that that should change?
0: That's pretty cool.
1: And, uh, well, neither did I, but it kind of happened. And I think I've only got... I'd have to think about it. I think it might be six or seven vehicles now, cars, and only three motorcycles. That's it. Yeah.
0: Six or seven, but do they all run?
1: Not currently. No. 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 Um, One, two, three, four... I think four, five, five run. Five run. Yeah. That's pretty good. Yeah. That's pretty good. Yeah.
0: Okay. There's a couple stories I know of that I, I got to ask you about. <laughs> We're going to start with this one. Uh-oh. Um, I heard about a pretty unique Blazer with a Corvette engine in it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that was my dad's. Um, dad worked at SMP, as I'd mentioned earlier. Right. And, uh and he kind of liked the, the, the Blazers. I mean, Square Body, GM, they have a large following oh, now. Oh, huge now, yeah. And, uh, and he had heard, because he worked there, this was in uh, 1974, the fall of 74, and he had heard that in 1976, they were planning on doing away with the complete removable roof and leaving a roof section over the driver's compartment. And uh, that didn't sit well with him because he really liked the idea of the whole roof coming off. Mm -hmm. It went back to the wooden Jeep that he built. Yeah. The whole roof came off, right? (laughs) Um, So he thought that was proper. So he special ordered a 1975 K5 Blazer uh, in the fall of 1974. And he went and picked it up in Oshawa wow brand new 1975 k5 blazer it was burnt orange with the white inset stripe the uh, accessory gm white spoke mags with the the burnt orange color-coded pinstripe on the rims the the original four by four hubcaps uh it had the the automatic or the the um full-time four-wheel drive system where you didn't have to lock the hubs Mm, you could mm -hmm. shift it into four-wheel drive and um but uh it had the orange and tan houndstooth check interior that's cool buckets with the center console um it was actually it was very cool but the coolest thing was that uh it came with an l82 corvette (sighs) engine that if you know the right people when you're ordering a vehicle you can get what you want and if you work at a dealership you probably know the right people um so I remember that thing having the Corvette fin valve covers with the crossed flags and the the chrome distributor cover and everything really? right out of the same era Corvette. Um yeah, and it was uh that's the way it was built, special ordered. Um I don't know if you're supposed to do that, but he did. And uh Well,
0: somebody at the factory let him. Yeah. Right? I, I I have a suspicion now that that trick doesn't go so far anymore it, it because it doesn't.
1: There's it's very difficult to build something like that that's so so off the beaten path because you know you consider they would have had to bring a crate engine uh, a drop in from Bowling Green mm-hmm. and to Oshawa, Ontario to put in on the line. Can you imagine being one of the guys working on the line that day? And your job is every day to drop these boring smoggy 305s and 350s, well, at the time it would have been 350s, into these trucks, and and it'd be like ho hum, right? Yep. And all of a sudden there's this, whoa. Did and he... maybe two or three years later he'd be, remember that day we got that blazer came through and we put that Corvette engine in there, you know, I mean maybe it seems overly romantic but but the idea is that that would have made this guy's day after spending every every day turning the same bolt on the same assembly on the same line and all of a sudden he got this refreshing little taste like a rainbow you know i
0: I gotta admit that it must have been more interesting though to be on a a line then than it is now
1: i would imagine
0: because you know, most cars now you can't even pick the interior color. Never no, mind anything no. else, right? There's three different packages and that's that's it. That's all that's the only way the vehicle comes. Three different ways, pick the yeah. outside color. That's yeah. it. Right? I mean then though, like you said, the Corvette engine. But yeah. I mean that blazer could have been ordered with a bench or buckets, different color interiors. Oh yeah. You know, yeah. all kinds of different power options and Yeah. And then that's just a, a blazer that you move into like a car there was even more crazy things that they could have done you know
1: oh yeah in fact and 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 had been done i mean i remember seeing uh and, and in saskatchewan here a, a nova it'd be about a 74 i think four-door sedan red low original miles really really nice condition mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i think somebody from somewhere out uh out of town somewhere a small community owns it um red with a green interior. <laughs> and I thought, Merry- you know, that's cooler than it is odd. It's That I mean, it was a Merry Christmas, honey. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, can you imagine being the guy on the line that day going, wow. What the? I've, I've also heard
0: rumors, though, that when they got to the end of a production, or maybe it was the beginning, but when they were getting the line going or they were at the end of a run and and... You know, it just kinda of became there was lots of ordered cars done by the, the lot manager or the sales manager at the dealerships.
1: Ordered on spec, knowing they'd sell the car. Right.
0: But then there was also cars that the the plant just built just because they'd push out and make dealers sell. They would just arrive.
1: There there is a one one little problem with that um idea though. Um I mean you know, going back as far as Henry Ford, mm-hmm. um, give the people what they want, as it were, when really he just wanted to put money in his pocket. Yeah, but yeah. That's all fine. And uh very powerful man. But it didn't do an auto manufacturer any favors to build really odd cars. Yeah. Um, because people would see, for instance, A red Nova with a green interior the vast majority of people would see that on the lot and go why would Chevrolet do that
0: yeah yeah you
1: know so um, I mean as an example the the car that I've got in the garage um, it wasn't one of the recognized kind of normal color combinations Mm -hmm. and uh, so the communication from General Motors to the dealer was are you sure you should have this guy re-choose an interior color that's in the recommended color palette combination, uh, because if it shows up and he doesn't like the car, how are you going to sell it? Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So I don't think that they built those outlandish cars uh, just on spec because we've got, oh, we got all these red interiors sitting here and we've got all of these, you know, whatever green bodies or vice versa. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't think that it was really ever done that way because I think it would have been, uh, um, suicide, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. Flood the lots with cars that nobody wants, that That's, nobody wants. Yeah that, yeah. that would have been poor form.
0: That's true. That's very true.
1: Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I can't speak from experience, but it makes sense to me now that, 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 wouldn't have been a good business move.
0: They did let people order some weird crap, though.
1: They yes, right. But you would have to put a considerable, did de- de- like uh, down payment or deposit on a car that you were specially or-, or special ordering, because you know if you if it showed up and you were completely off your rocker and it just looked dumb, uh, you were you you bought it. Yeah, right. That's right. So
0: okay, let, yeah. let me ask you this one. W- w- I can't figure out in my head. Why somebody would order the my Buick the way they ordered it. And it doesn't quite make sense to me that you order a car, and I know this, that it's an American car, that it came from the U.S. at some point, yeah. it wasn't a Canadian-sold one. Okay. Uh, why you order a car, like, like a full-size Buick, Right. put a power seat, air conditioning, and tilt, um, you know, map lights, and cornering lights, and a power trunk release, and It's got some, uh, you know, some nice stuff on it for that age, but not put power windows and locks on it.
1: Okay. So, um, there are people that, uh, don't trust those things. I mean, if your cruise control quits, whatever, if your trunk release doesn't work, you can unlock it with a key. Yeah. Um, if your, uh, you know, but if your power windows won't go down. Yeah. And if your door locks fail, you're stuck. Yep. You're stuck in the car, you know? And and there were people that were that paranoid. There were people that were that worried. But on the other hand, you could consider this. Now, whether that car was, I don't know if you know whether it was actually specifically ordered that way. I don't know. Or if it was a, a stock build, like a spec build that just went to a dealership. Because if that were the case, they've knocked a few hundred dollars off of the price of the car and somebody could buy an absolutely gorgeous, gorgeous Electra 225, Mm -hmm. that when you pulled up in the driveway, the neighbors knew you were a big deal.
0: Because you had a Buick.
1: Right, but you paid a few hundred dollars less, so it was in your price range now. Yeah, okay. Because they knocked a couple of options off that people couldn't tell by looking at it it still had the skirts it still had the cornering lamps it still had the the bells and whistles the look the you know yep. of of opulent luxury but without actually peering through the window they couldn't tell that it didn't have the power windows and power locks sure it had the seats that's that's a comfort thing when you're driving uh, it had the the air conditioning, and that's well, and, kind of a must. And but. it
0: couldn't it could have come from the southern states. I have no idea where it came from, yeah. right? Yeah. And that uh, years and years ago, so it very well could have could have needed air conditioning, because yeah. you know when you're in Texas or you know California, and that's well, where it existed. Yeah. You know.
1: You know, and that's the thing. I mean, but I, I I would probably, if it were a special ordered car, I'd probably chalk it up to paranoia. Cause there are lots of strange people out there (laughs) and lots of people that can't fix that sort of electrical stuff. I wouldn't know what to do in the event that it quit. So yeah, that's right. Me with the fist on the door panel, if the motor quits working, you know, that's the first thing, are the brushes stuck or is it electrical? Yeah. So,
0: (laughs) okay. Back to the blazer. The cool thing about the blazer is that your dad bought this cool car, this truck, he ordered it and, and it's, it's resurfaced.
1: Yeah. Um, Rochelle and I were at a grocery store we were driving the Chrysler and this um, well uh, how can I put it tenderly (laughs) the guy didn't scare me but I certainly did wonder what was going on because there was this fellow riding circles around my car on his bicycle and uh, so I had to go in and get some groceries so I got out of the car and and I said excuse me and he says man I love your car oh he says this is like the coolest car I've ever seen he says I'm 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 actually into square body GM trucks but you know I mean this this is this is a really cool car of my 62 Chrysler and I said well thank you and he says yeah you know I I detail cars for a living I, I polish paint and I I uh, you know vacuum and shampoo interiors and what have you, and I I do it mobile, and I'm thinking, hmm, well that's kind of neat, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, presumably on his bicycle. Well, I guess, and then he told me, yeah, you know, he says I got a customer out in uh, out near Dundurn, and I'm just polishing a truck for him, uh, or it was last week, and and he's got this super cool blazer out there. I've never seen anything like it. And he's in the process of kind of redoing it. And and it's got a factory Corvette engine in it. And I said, oh, what color is it? And he goes, well, it's like that, that burnt orange color with white, and it's the one with the whole roof that comes off, like the 75, you know? <laughs> and uh, and I said, well, that's really interesting. And, and the guy cares about it, he loves the thing? Oh yeah, yeah, he says, uh, and it's his next project. He's He's going to finish it up. So this is just some guy talking. Yeah. Um, I've never made contact with the guy because I don't know where to begin. Um, I guess if I had lots of money, I'd buy the thing and gift it to my dad. <laughs> but uh, very unique and interesting that it kind of stuck around, that it's it's sitting in some guy's shop somewhere out east of town or south of town. And I, I, I thought, how remarkable is that? That's you pretty know? cool. My dad sold that thing in 1977. Two years later? Yeah, he sold it to buy a Chevy Beauville van, full-size, long wheelbase van, to pull our travel trailer.
0: You know what, Calvin, we're going to have to pause right there, and we will save the rest for the next episode. Thank you for listening to Bald Tires. Make sure you join us next episode. Calvin will keep you laughing in stitches as we go over some of the vehicles he's owned, a lot of them, and he's got some great, fantastic stories along the way. I'm Jay Thomas. You've been listening to Bald Tires, because when you make great memories, you make bald tires.